thanks very much for, for coming out. Uh, this is week three in the Oxford Transitional Justice Research Seminar Series. Um, it's a, a real privilege this evening to have uh, a very special speaker uh, who I know is very familiar to all of you and hardly needs any introduction, um, Betty Bigombe. Um, we've been very fortunate with OTJR to have Betty here for, for a couple of days. Uh, so some of you were also here for a lunchtime uh, discussion that we had with her. So we're, uh, we're, we're very honoured to be able to have you for as long as we, we are here, Betty. Um, Betty, of course, is currently the, the Minister for Water Resources in Uganda um, within the, the, the Ugandan Cabinet. But I guess connected more to the topic that she's going to talk about this evening, she of course has been involved in a, a wide range of peace negotiations, not just in Uganda but in, in the wider region, uh, particularly a range of conflicts relating to the Lord's Resistance Army. Um, Betty of course was the, the Minister for the Pacification of Northern Uganda in the early 1990s. I guess quite famously she walked into the bush uh, in the mid-1990s to negotiate face-to-face -face with the LRA. Uh, at a time when I think that was an almost unimaginable act, uh, at the height of the conflict, at a time when military solutions really were seen as the, the main response to LRA violence. Um, Betty then <clears throat> has had a, a wide international career, as well as her important work in Uganda. Mm -hmm. Of course, she worked for the World Bank, was based in the post-conflict unit uh, for, for several years. She then came back to Uganda and was involved in a second round of face-to-face -face negotiations with the LRA, particularly between 2004 and 2006. Recently, she's been a research fellow at the US Institute for Peace in New York and then came back to Uganda to her current ministerial position. So, as you all very well know, uh, Betty's career is distinguished, both <coughs> domestically and internationally. Um, couldn't have anybody better versed, I don't think, to talk through the intricacies of peace negotiations, mediation, and particularly how they connect to justice, uh, which is the subject matter of her talk this evening. So, Betty, a real privilege for us to have you here in Oxford. Over to you. Thanks very much. Well, thank you very much for that uh, elaborate introduction, and thank you all very much uh, for coming here this evening to listen to me. In fact, when I first got a telephone call from Emily asking me to come and talk uh, at Oxford, and I said, oh my God, Oxford of all places, it has the most brilliant people in the world. What will I be telling them? Uh, because when I was growing up, uh, the dream was Oxford. Unfortunately, I never made it here, but I'm here to, to talk. Um, my presentation is not academic, it's nothing uh, researched, it's just purely talking of my experience <coughs> and the challenges uh, of mediation with non-state actors in particular, a group that uh, does not have um, any political ideology, a group that acts like a cult-like group because the leadership believes uh, he's got supernatural powers and communicates directly with God. Um, uh, I'm also made to understand that um, most of you have history to the conflict in northern Uganda. So I'm not going to, uh, to talk about the history of the conflict. I'll go straight to, uh, to describe what I went through and what the challenges uh, are. Uh, 
I, I think I will talk a little bit about what LRA is as a group with their leader, and then the actual the initiative of the 90s, and then the initiative of uh, 2006. And the question in this presentation is, does these talks deliver justice uh, to victims? Is peace talks uh, important for sustainable peace? Uh, that's how I'm going to wrap up my presentation. Um, uh, well, uh, the, these bizarre rebel groups, Joseph Kohn's the Lord's Resistance Army, um, is obviously famous for uh, gruesome killing of innocent civilians, uh, mutilation of body parts, amputation um, of limbs, and all kinds of atrocities. And by the time the war in northern Uganda ended, and I'm talking <coughs> specifically northern Uganda, uh, it is believed over 8,000 8, children, uh, this was a rough survey that was carried out, 88 children were uh, abducted at one time or another, and um, about at, towards the end, about 1.8 million people were internally displaced um, in various camps in northern Uganda. So with such a crazy person, why does a, a, a person who behaves in the most bizarre manner but claims to have direct contact with God, why would his followers remain? Now, it has come to me that the religion, the, the spiritual element actually prolonged the war. <coughs> it is like a spell he casts on his followers that totally, uh, are totally convinced that he's got this supernatural power. Why? Because his predicted situations that have occurred. Um, in fact, you know, from the youngest to the eldest to educated and non-educated, they all totally believe he, he's got supernatural power. I'm talking with one of the abducted girls from Aboke. This was a case that had been widely covered by the media. And uh, she's now in the US, she's completed her masters. Um, a very good university, but today, tomorrow, anytime, yes, coin has supernatural power. And I believe, and uh, that is one other thing. And the other thing, too, uh, even if people are con forcefully conscripted, why do they get converted and remain on? Um, part of it is that the brutality with which he treats whoever tries to escape, uh, more often than not, they face death. And if not, then uh, limbs are cut off. So they remain on. Uh, the other thing, too, that he abducts all these young children. Uh, the, the age group range, they range from five years old to 18, 20. Now, uh, so poverty is part of it, because these children get abducted. They come from very impoverished uh, homes, and uh, they're trained. They're tra it, the first thing is to go and kill members of their communities or family members so that they can have nowhere to run. But gun is a symbol of power. They use the gun to get food, so they're, 
in the process, they have more meals than when they were at home. They have, so of course with Joseph Kahn convincing them that he would one day t t take over government, uh, they become convert because then they see it as an opportunity to get away from that poverty that they have known with their families. Um, and of course the girls, and you know, um, talking to child soldiers, former child soldiers, they tell you how uh, brutality is what earns you uh, promotion, recognition. So that then they go out and literally compete uh, on how brutal one can be. And uh, that is how you get rewarded uh, with whatever the loots that they take from people. And when, when they're old enough, they're given girls who are, who are also soldiers. They're also sex slaves. And they're the people who cook, look after the children, and carry the loots. So women have several roles. Um, and of course, um, some of them, sadly, uh, get pregnant before they even know whether they've reached puberty. Um, so within, within the military wing, then you have the spiritual structure, uh, whereby the, the spirit is supposed to give orders. And the 12 spirits, so they say, one of them is King Bruce, who is an American, supposed to be in, char of, in charge of intelligence and heavy weapons. The other one is Chinese, another one Sudanese, and so on and so forth. So when I went to northern Uganda, my, my mandate was really not to uh, talk peace. My mandate was to persuade the people of northern Uganda, to persuade their children to lay down weapons and stop fighting. But there were no incentives in that. So it, the, my first strategy was try to listen as much as possible. So I spent a lot of time listening, staying in, in internally displaced camps with people. And that process convinced me through all these talks, uh, I got convinced that we needed to, uh, we needed to have a political settlement as opposed to military settlement. But it's also out of personal conviction that <coughs> military victory can never ever bring sustainable uh, peace. Because if somebody is defeated, they get humiliated um, and may go underground. The underlying causes of the problems might not be addressed. And so uh, it might take years, but problems might emerge again. So I recommended to the president, having listened to people, that this was a crazy person, but nevertheless it was important to, to uh, initiate uh, talks with them. So the <coughs> process also organized demonstrations by women, uh, uh, persuaded mothers and wives of rebels to go out and uh, try to persuade them to come out. And so, um, again, once I was convinced, and I, was, I managed to convince the president too, that it wasn't just uh, that military solution would not end the problem. But I also realized that there were individual government soldiers who were profit, 
profiteering from the war, and they were not interested in ending the war. Uh, but any, any war, any violent conflict that lasts a long time, people start profiteering from it. Even civil society organizations, because I'm not saying that they, they promote wars, but they get support from international communities, set up offices, and they're well facilitated. Anything that comes, and they eat out of that problem. Any negotiated settlement uh, takes away that, because I saw that in, in Uganda, how some of them uh, tried to undermine the, the peace talks. Uh, so um, in the process of staying in internally displaced camps, I was able to identify rebel collaborators and, and, and indeed try to find out whether they could connect me directly with Joseph Ocon. And uh, uh, for a face-to-face -face meeting. And I would also say in here that uh, <coughs> uh, this, this process took time. Uh, it, and and I, want, I would like to, to advise any mediator in future that don't rush this process because it takes trust building and it is slow and long. And that's why <clears throat> I also want to say in here that I kind of will confine myself to intrastate conflict mediation. It, to me, intrastate conflict mediation is more complex than <coughs> interstate. Because intrastate, the same people have killed one another, have destroyed one another's property. And for them, for them to start thinking that they can go back and start living with one another, is very difficult. Whereas with interstate conflicts, um, you, it's country to country, you know that once a peace agreement has been reached, everybody goes back to their respect, respective countries and they do not have to deal with one another anymore. And it's more government. <coughs> so it, it's, it's slightly easier than dealing with interstate where, you know, you're supposed to be brothers and you've killed blood has been shed over the issues. So, uh, now, the other thing too, why did I initiate peace talks well, at the time that I did? Because timing in intervention for peace talks is crucial. Crucial in the sense that uh, supplies people, whoever is, uh, is providing weapons to the rebels, are supplies still in plenty or are they reduced? What about war fatigue? Are they still tired or they're ready to, to continue uh, with the war? And then the per perception of the fighters, you know, whether the war is going in, in their favor or not going in, into their favor. And then, of course, uh, like when you have non-state actors, they have also their uh, good fathers who give them all kinds of information uh, to persuade them to continue or not to do it. Um, so you have to deal with all these situations to, to gauge that it is to determine when to intervene um, uh, in the conflict. 
So some of the challenges in this is that um, confidence building, uh, one has to be very patient, one has to listen, because they're trying, uh, you're trying to make, sh you're trying to persuade them to the factions, to, to start trusting one another and engage one another in a meaningful, uh, uh, engage, engage one another, meaningful dialogue that can result in peace. Uh, the other thing too, like I said earlier, the LRA being a cult-like group without any ideolo uh, political ideology clearly spelled out with the leadership say claiming uh, to fight to rule the country, Uganda, by Ten Commandments. What are the issues that you're going to, as you prepare to initiate peace talks? What are the issues you're going to put on the table so that they, can, they could be discussed? So, uh, <coughs> basically at the end of the day, Joseph Kony was more concerned about his security and economic livelihood. And of course, uh, uh, went on uh, to went on to make certain unrealistic demands. But mediation is not an easy task. Uh, it's not an easy task. It's an area which is still uh, underfunded. Uh, I think there's more investment in peacekeeping uh, and other related activities. But mediation is still very much um, marginalized, I would say. Uh, it is also perceived as um, um, a diplomacy, high-level diplomacy. So people will go, who are usually sent to mediate, you know, that, uh, are diplomats. But, and uh, I remember this, that um, the former Secretary, as Secretary of State of the U.S., Henry Kissinger, uh, captured it, this by saying that uh, um, that uh, in mediation, uh, take them by the balls, <laughs> then their hearts and soul will follow. <laughs> that's, that's Sounds like Kissinger. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that was that was his perception, and to a large extent. It is still perceived that, you know, that's the way to go, and then the hearts and 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 uh, souls will follow. But that's totally wrong. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so when I initiated these talks, it went, uh, like I said, it's very complex. The other thing I would always do when I initiate another peace talks is mediate among mediators. There's always proliferation of mediators all over places. You'll find NGOs, everybody wants to play the role. And in the process, they undermine what is going on. Um, so I think it is important to, to mediate among <coughs> mediators. Uh, so so we set up this talk. Now the puzzle is something unusual that you probably would ask yourselves. I was a government minister. Why would the LRA allow me to mediate 
when I was, obviously I was on one side. Um, later I did find out that LRA uh, believed that I would deliver on President Museveni, that there was that trust, and if anybody could deliver, it was me, so, so that they would not uh, be punished. Um, <coughs> then there was also uh, what made it easier at that time was that the government of Sudan was, had not yet started. This is North Sudanese. Uh, I don't know whether you know that uh, during the civil war in South Sudan, uh, Uganda government supported SPLA, obviously, and Khartoum knew. So Khartoum was supporting the Lord's Resistance Army, supplied them with weapons, gave them uh, rape, you know, uh, sanctuary, safe haven in Sudan, and, um, and so uh, they had a base, a permanent base. But thanks to, um, thanks to the government of Britain and United States, they put a lot of pressure on the government of Sudan in 2002 uh, to stop supply and negotiate it so that Ugandan army could pursue LRA all the way into uh, Sudan. Uh, but I also had um, a number of factors against me. One of them is being a woman. Uh, you know, this is not a woman's domain. Why she? It was just like the initial reaction when I went as Minister for Pacification, where uh, LRA threatened that uh, it was an insult to them to send a woman to, to be able to deal with war. Uh, so, being a woman did not work in my favor, so I had just <coughs> not the LRA, but also uh, some government officials I was working with that tried to undermine me. Um, and in a world where people have been having economic benefits, what incentives are there for them to uh, support any peace initiative? <coughs> um, uh, and plus, I was also naive. I really didn't uh, try to build allies with members of the international community. Uh, neither did I think much of spoilers. I knew about spoilers. I knew how they were going about. Both confusing the loads, the LRA, and also misinforming the president about what was going on. But I kind of brushed it aside and did not take care of that to check on them. Um, neither, um, so keeping out members of the international community was a big mistake, uh, which later I learned. And eventually uh, in the 2004, initiative, um, I made sure that I had allies within uh, members of the international community. Uh, so in 1995, um, that, that what was very, what turned out to be devastating, Joseph Korn had written to me to say that after the several talks, uh, several meetings in the jungles, uh, written and said he now wanted uh, to come out people to start seeing him uh, because frankly many people believed 
he was a myth, that he didn't exist, uh, to move with me and um, so that people would start seeing him. And that was when uh, wrong reports went to the president and uh, he gave ultimatum for NRA to come out and, uh, and that we would, the government would resume uh, military uh, means to end the war. So then LRA went into the bush. Uh, after lots of, you know, many other initiatives, in between I also joined uh, the Carter Center, well, on request of President Carter, I was then at the bank to, to, to mediate. There were uh, religious leaders, actually, uh, actually <coughs> religious leaders, peace initiative, um, there was presidential peace team. A lot of efforts had been made to, 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 to initiate, to negotiate with the rebels. And unfortunately, uh, all of them did not succeed. Uh, so 2004, after Balonio, uh, this was a killing that happened in an, in an IDP camp uh, where about 300 people were killed. I decided to go back to Uganda, and not just to Uganda, but also go to see the president of Sudan uh, to make sure that he was part of the peace process uh, since he had been supplying weapons and he had given LRA um, a safe haven. Uh, so, uh, India went back. Um, uh, but this time, it was different, different in that I did not have political clout that I did have at the beginning. Although I must say, I, I, there was nothing I could have done without the consent of the president and support uh, from him, uh, to a point that he even wanted to fund the process. But I declined on the ground that then uh, my neutrality in the entire process would be questioned. Uh, LRA would distrust me if they knew I was being funded by the government of Uganda. So I sought help uh, from outside. Uh, but also the other challenge was that um, while negotiation was going on, although uh, peace agreements, ceasefire rather, not agreements, not peace, ceasefire agreements were signed that we worked on it, I invited members of the international community. But each ceasefire ended and fighting resumed. And that brought anger and distrust uh, between the parties. And in between, abductions took places and killing took places until uh, we negotiated for, for a new one. So there were intermittent uh, ceasefire agreements in between, and that also uh, caused setbacks from time to time. Mm. Again, as I talked about proliferation of mediators, um, uh, was another thing that um, I had to deal with. Uh, the other challenge was International Criminal Court did issue um, the arrest warrant when the process was ongoing. I was in regular contact with the Criminal uh, ICC, 
uh, this, of course, was perceived <coughs> as a disincentive to the peace process. Although uh, I personally believe that without the arrest warrant, probably LRA would not have shown seriousness that they ultimately did. So it is still my conviction today and tomorrow that the arrest warrant acted as a catalyst in bringing LRA to, uh, for one, to show seriousness in the peace, the peace talks. <coughs> Uh, then you, of course, want to deal with individuals and groups that all want to get involved. Because if you <coughs> don't, they're likely to undermine you, go behind you, your back. Um, the role of uh, international community. Uh, each um, <coughs> country that supported me, including Britain, everybody had their own constituency. <coughs> and it, it's, un it's unbelievable how everybody wants to pull you on their side. Uh, let me, case in point, let me just uh, explain this. I won't mention countries, but I was invited by Commissioner of uh, EU. And um, country A, on, on learning that, I was going to go to Brussels, Brussels immediately said, she's not coming, I'll come and explain whatever you want to know uh, from me. Uh, basically. Uh, you, you're literally controlled uh, by uh, the, the supporters. So, and and then I talked, I hinted on commercialization of the war. Uh, this is civil society organizations, NGOs, uh, that all want to, 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 to play a role uh, in the process. Uh, so the question was, now that I, uh, I have through my experience, how does it work to mediate as an individual or as an institution? Of course, as an institution, it's so much easier to deal with all these other mediators who want to come in. Uh, as an institution, you are also insulated, protected. Uh, because you're not the you're not an individual, but at the same time, institutions also come with their baggage. I recall uh, uh, the UN that was giving giving us support at the time. Um, I wanted satellite phones to ease communication between me and the rebels, but the UN says we cannot buy satellite phones for rebels. How do we explain? to member states that were supplying um, satellite phones to, to rebels. So, um, so the rules and regulations within institutions complicate things to some extent and can very easily uh, cause some uh, problems uh, in um, moving on with the process. Uh, then you have to deal with the media uh, that is so hungry for news that could very easily uh, report irresponsibly. Although you have your own strat media strategy, but you cannot control all the, the press that usually uh, uh, <coughs> flood the place, literally. And uh, they're all sniffing around for news. So in the process too, um, 
it, uh, there were problems, there were setbacks. Because you'll hear, you'll suddenly one newspaper comes up with, Museveni provides satellite phones to LRA. Now, yes, even if it's provided, it's supposed to be discreet. It's nobody's supposed to know uh, because it's an arrangement. Or uh, because it's leaked out that President Museveni had talked to some of the rebel commanders and its headlines in the papers. And of course, that would cost the senior commanders their lives, as far as Joseph Kony is concerned. So irresponsible uh, reporting by the media is one of the challenges that uh, a mediator would have to deal with. Um, so the prospects for ending the conflict uh, by peaceful means in, uh, in northern Uganda were good, good in that uh, the Juba peace talks, uh, which took over from me in July of 2006, um, gave, uh, gave a good opportunity. One, um, the role of international community is important because they allay the fears of uh, especially rebels. They also feel proud that it's been elevated to international level. Uh, they also appear to be more neutral, that they really do not have any particular interest. Their interest is to, to ensure that um, the conflict uh, ends. Um, uh, and of course, uh, the, what gave the Juba Peace Talks a good prospect was that the cartoon government was no longer provided, providing, uh, uh, <coughs> providing weapons. And the chief mediator at that time, uh, Dr. Riyak Mashar, had, some of you know the history, that at one time he switched from, his, he, he left SPLA and joined the cartoon government. And when he joined the cartoon government, he was in charge of LRA when the cartoon government was supporting LRA. So that also uh, helped. Um, give confidence to the rebels. Uh, uh, while LRA um, senior officers showed commitment to the peace talks, Joseph Kony appeared not to be serious uh, about the peace talks um, and was trying as much as possible to regroup uh, during the peace talks, hide, stop, uh, hide food and other supplies that were being given. Uh, so, finally, in 2007, uh, when, the, when the peace agreement was supposed to have been signed, Joseph Kony decided not to, to show up and not to sign the agreement. Uh, and sadly, uh, today, LRA continues to um, continues to abduct and kill people in, in the Congo, uh, South Sudan, and Central African Republic. Uh, what is giving us renewed hope at the moment is <coughs> the intervention of United States, uh, whereby we're beginning to see some positive results because um, LR, some LRA commanders are sending their wives and children back to back 
because they believe they will not be able to cope uh, when they're being pursued, uh, when they have children and wives among themselves. Uh, uh, so, in all this, I have also tried to understand what keeps Joseph Kahn going. In fact, to a point, with the help of a crime profiler, I was trying to understand what kind of this, what kind of this person is, because on the one hand, his um, followers uh, will will uh, describe him as a very uh, kind man. Uh, they would describe him as a very generous man. They would describe him as a very uh, smart person. Um, so the crime profiler. Uh, came out, uh, the report that he issued is that this is, Joseph Cohn is a psychopath and he also has multiple personality uh, disorder. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and it's some of his behavior as a psychopath explains why some of them believe he's kind, he's generous and clever. And indeed, He's, um, he's not stupid in my conversations with him. He's not educated, but he's also not stupid. And probably part of the problem is we underrated him. Uh, because if you look at uh, the Lord's Resistance Army, although he killed his deputies, but the, it's, 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 it's a rebel group that remained intact under his uh, control. It's not like other rebel groups that break away, start a new, another organization. So he has that ability to control his followers. He also knows how to manipulate them. Um, he, will, he will talk very nicely. I've been told on how, because all the commanders, you know, take 12, 7, 12, 13, 19 wives. He doesn't know the number of women he has. Neither does he know the number of children he's been able to get with these young women. Uh, but he apparently he would choose a day where he would lecture to the young women on, for example, take care of their babies. He said, don't use synthetic material. Use these mats. You get air flowing uh, better than if, if you use synthetic materials. He will talk to them on how to make your husband love you more than the other wives. So, he knows how to manipulate um, uh, people in a clever way that um, they don't uh, leave him uh, easily. So in all this, uh, while I am uh, a strong believer in a negotiated settlement uh, of violent conflict, the question is, does it bring justice? If I look at most peace agreements, it is the rebels are usually talking about positions that they must have, uh, the kind of um, uh, jobs or houses, uh, vehicles that they must have. It does not address the problem of victims. It's, it, the, it, Peace talks will talk about reconstruction, but a lot of it is to satisfy the needs of 
people who are in uniform. And that is how it is perceived that peace, sustainable peace will come about. And issues of women who, when they come to the table, they will talk about uh, basic social services that their communities would need. But uh, peace, most peace agreements is what will be how, how the rebel leaders will be rewarded. Uh, we'll talk about reintegration. We'll talk about um, reintegration of ex-combatants. We'll talk about the kind of benefits that will accrue to them. But the question of where victims. Uh, in fact, <coughs> my talk this afternoon, uh, which was basically on the amnesty in Uganda, what I did say was that the um, that amnesty, and which is pretty much the same as the peace agreement, the um, the yes, which was not signed. Um, while it talks of rehabilitation um, of of the area in general, but the emphasis is more on how do you resettle uh, ex-combatants. So when I talked about the amnesty, amnesty comes comes with a package uh, to the rebels uh, where they're given cash, some household items, and the victims are totally ignored to a point that victims start feeling that, uh, started thinking that the rebels were being rewarded for what they did to them and not necessarily uh, an opportunity to end, end the war. Uh, because it's, it's no peace agreement. Although this, the Ugandan one, out of the Juba peace talks, talks of uh, commanders who committed less crimes could be tried in Uganda or um, uh, use the traditional system of justice. But even then, there was no preparation uh, to ensure that uh, the traditional system of justice functions uh, in a manner that could deliver uh, justice to, to victims. Um, so uh, at the end of the day, it's about satisfying people who have taken up arms, uh, arms to fight a government that their conditions are considered and peace agreements, most of them only talk about rehabilitation but not details <coughs> of what um, victims have gone, gone through. Um, so, in all, in preparation for to mediate, um, uh, while, as I said earlier on, the perception is still assumed that mediation is tough diplomacy, the main techniques are persuasion and bargaining, um, and, um, but uh, it is true we do need uh, experts in this, but I also believe that uh, to be a successful mediator, personality of mediator is important. I participated in our peace talks where the common element among the factions, the warring factions, was that they all hated 
uh, the mediator <laughs> and that brought them together. Uh, because the mediator came in, walked in and said, uh, give you one hour. In one hour, you must have agreed so that we sign something and walk out. And so, because they all disagreed with the mediator, they started talking among themselves. <laughs> so, look at how he treats us. Uh, and, and in a way, it brought them together. But, so it's not purely uh, what you acquire in classrooms. It's the personality, the patience, the way you communicate um, with, with, with the war infections matters a lot. Because if you talk down at them, because all these people are very stressed. Everybody wants to make sure that their interest is taken care of, that the way you are steering the process uh, clearly protects his or her interest and that you are absolutely neutral. So on the part of the mediator, it's really like trying to keep six balls up in the air. You're juggling with them to make sure that the parties are happy and they believe and trust you. They believe in you and they trust you. So um, it, it, there's certain things that are skills that you cannot just acquire, but you also have to have the patience and you have to be uh, a pro, uh, inter you have to have interpersonal skill and a people's person, then you, uh, the parties are likely to trust you and also access, <laughs> that they can have access to you to tell you anything and you listen. Of course, as a mediator, there's nothing like being completely neutral. In your heart, you know that somebody is wrong somewhere. Uh, but it, it, this, this is, of course, something that you don't, you cannot, and must not talk about. Um, and you cannot keep away the region. Uh, all these conflicts, although we, we term them as interstate conflicts, they usually they have regional dimensions, where they go to the role uh, the regional um, members play in all this. Uh, I also learned that you must have your own source of intelligence. I, in fact, with the Juma Peace Talks, um, I was, when it was time to sign the peace agreement, and at that time, there was a UN Special Envoy, uh, former president of Mozambique. And I was in Washington telling them that Joseph Kony was not, and people converged in large numbers that Joseph Kony was not going to appear at the signing of the peace agreement. But uh, they all thought I was crazy. But it was because I was in contact with some critical people who knew what Joseph Kony was doing. So when he didn't show up and they all waited for three days, um, they realized that it is important to monitor exactly what is going on on the other side. Um, thematic expertise is needed on a range of topics, power sharing, constitution, ceasefire, arrange, ceasefire arrangements, and uh, demobilization, um, <coughs> land distribution and land sharing. Uh, communication expert is needed to communicate with donor, donors and members, member states. The, the parties, constituencies, 
and public at large. Um, the media, of course, uh, and other expertise that are, uh, are important in the peace process. So, um, since I said that, yes, peace talks can deliver justice, but uh, oftentimes we get carried away uh, by one, you want to achieve peace desperately. Uh, two, oftentimes we try to please um, non-state actors so much so that we neglect uh, victims. In fact, I've seen how former LRA combatants, especially the senior ones that have come out, where people literally go in and worship them and totally forget that these were people responsible for um, thousands of deaths and destruction of properties and maiming and um, maiming people's maiming people. Um, and when justice is delivered, then people can avoid revenge uh, because in all this there could easily be uh, revenge, and it is also makes it much easier to uh, reconcile with the people. So thank you very much again.